but just enough to kind of work temporarily in a space, you know, where I'm like, is this big enough to get a wheelchair through? Is this big enough to get like a walker into the shower? You know, is it got a shower opening in the master versus like a tub shower combo? You know, throwing enough fishing lines out there and just trying and just keeping and trying and let's try try in this realm and this realm and talk to this person. It does open up doors, you know, and, and that, you know, these investors that I've met are a result of that conversation of like, hey, I have to put myself out there on these investor forums. I've got to pay for a few leads. And then I've, you know, seen a few uh, products. In that. You are now listening to the Real Estate Everyone's Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, hello and welcome again to another episode of the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. I'm Ashton Hines, your charming and lovable host, one half of the Real Estate Heavyweights. I am with my friend and uh, hopefully soon flipping partner, Tavis Westbrook. What's up, Tavis? Hey, good morning. Good morning. We are. Did you uh, like that new intro? I did. You know, it's always yeah, it's interesting what what we're going to say when we open this up. So, exactly. <laughs> but we are here, and we're excited. Today's a, today's a a good day. Yeah, really, really great weather. It's it's perfect. It's chilly in the morning. It's it's been warming up to, you know, mid sixties. I went on a nice crisp walk with a patient yesterday. What's funny about walking in the nice. neighborhoods, uh, some of these older neighborhoods, you know, their houses, you know, I'm working with this guy's 90, his house, you know, mid seventies. So walking in those neighborhoods, it's, it's great because you kind of get this slow walk past these houses and you start looking and be like, that window's boarded up. Those shingles are, are ah, missing, you know? You and so there's, I've actually seen several <laughs> houses and then you'll see a really bad one across the street and you say, Hey, what's the deal with the house? Oh, they haven't lived there in years, you know? So I've got to figure out a way to capitalize on that knowledge because I'm, I'm right there in those neighborhoods. And, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, if I could figure out a way or not, look, it's not just figuring out the way it's figuring out the courage to like call someone or go knock on a door right there and say, look, I know this is odd, but <laughs> Would you, yeah. would you consider selling? So, um, well, it's, it's having that good skip tracer too, yeah. you know, cause, and, and now it's, it, it's gotten, um, it's gotten pretty crazy with, you know, trying to track people down and find people. So, you know, good skip tracer, uh, the true, what is it? True people search. I think it was yeah. that I sent to you that, that seems to be pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Actually, I'll give a shout out to a, I, I, I think he listens every once in a while. I have one friend who's in the FBI and we were having dinner and I asked him one time, I can't remember. I, I said, you know, that from a, from a normal person standpoint, are there any decent sites to like figure out who someone is? And I want to say that's actually a site he said, I may be wrong, but I think he, uh, yeah. I think he signed off on that site. Um, yeah, he, okay. and he pointed to some tax records and different things like that. So it's fun every once in a while. He's hilarious. He's like, He's the most unassuming person you could meet, you know, <laughs> but he's got great stories. You know, he's, he's been doing it a long time. It. He actually, uh, he was, a an agent in North Dakota or South Dakota on a, an Indian reservation, uh, oh, wow. a native American reservation. I don't even know how we're supposed to say that anymore, but 
He's oh his uh, his on. stories from that because it's <laughs> kind of lawless. Like they a lot of they, a lot of that area, yeah. they don't have a lot of rules and and, and so it's it's no. kind of nuts. So anyway, he's got great stories, but yeah, he he signed off on the skip tracing one. Those areas, uh, uh, some of the most you know third world country feeling places ever. And it's sad, you know, it's really sad. I mean, on my road trips throughout the United States, uh, we've been through you know, several pockets and, uh, you know, Indian reservations and they're rough, man. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. sad that that's what's happened to that, that society in those areas, you know, and of course then they allow gambling and drinking and, you know, people are just drinking their life away. And it's just, it's, it's yeah. extremely sad. But, yeah. I don't remember the name of the movie, but a couple months ago, I, there's some movie that's pretty evidently, and I had to ask him about it and he's like, yep. That, I've seen that movie and that was pretty much my job because wow. <laughs> it was a kind of a crime mystery and they brought in the FBI and they were dealing with the local authorities and he said, yeah, it's pretty similar. Wow. So it, uh, <laughs> I'll have to figure that one out and send it to you. But anyway, enough about that. Um, yeah. So real estate world is still moving and grooving, uh, trying to make offers. I've got a new investor that reached out. We've got him hooked up with the uh, mortgage broker. So he actually is sending in his paperwork. And I'm hoping to connect with him and try to place him in something. He's he's a high income guy that wants to use real estate to try to offset some taxes. And so I've really been diving deep. We've talked a little bit about the uh, you know the cost segregation and depreciation and all that stuff. I've been trying to learn as much as possible because that's really what he's going after. And there's some nuances there that that will work uh, for someone who has a W two. But it's not across the board. Hey, you can just write off everything, front load everything, and it just automatically deducts from your W-2. You, it has to be a specific type of real estate. And what it comes down to is active gains and active losses versus passive gains and passive losses. Yep. I don't really want to get into the details, but when you have a W-2, you can't really write that off with passive losses from like an apartment complex, as far as I understand. You have to have a, an active Airbnb type property to, to write off active gains because you're W-2, you're actively working in that business and and that's what it works in. So anyway, it's been fun le- uh, learning about that. I've got another investor kind of on the fringes who also is expressing some interest in similar stuff. So I'm like, man, if I can get on a roll and you know help out Aaron over there in Richardson and help out the next guy and kind of learn about that and, and be a resource, I would love that pocket because um, it's a super interesting field and, and I feel like I'm helping them. You know, I feel like I'm actually bringing something a knowledge base to the table to say, Hey, let's, let's structure your, your portfolio like this. Let's do two of these and one of these, and this will kind of make sense. And so maybe I, I'm at the beginning of that journey, which would be super cool. So how is your, um, how's the flip going over in Wally? I, I, well, I'll say this, I think it's going well. <laughs> I hope it's going well. I have a, an open house, my first during the week open house planned for this Friday. So I, supposedly it is being staged. I hope that went well yesterday. Yeah. Um, I plan to, stop by there today and see uh see the results but uh they're supposed to be done with the staging by 10 a.m this morning and uh pictures are lined up for tomorrow so you know now we just got to get it on the market and get it sold so yep grooving so and then i know you and i are walking a house this afternoon trying to pick up another flip and this might be our first official foray into trying to flip something together (laughs) on paper it doesn't look like this huge home run, but we're going to go walk it and just see if we can, you know, I know you sort of made an offer, a soft offer to the agent or the wholesaler. So 
I'm hopeful it's over in Garland and I know you, you know that pocket well, so I would love to flip something over there. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the key is, and here's, here's something I've got to brag on you a little bit about, you know, um, you know, we're now into, you know, a month and a half into the new year and, uh, you know, one of your goals, your major goals is to transition out of therapy and be full time, you know, full time in real estate. Right. And that can mean the combination of traditional real estate as long with the, you know, the investment side. And you're on track to do that. You're, you know, you're taking action. You're putting things in place. You're blocking out your schedule. You're making time for everything. You've got a very busy, very busy schedule as well as, you know, taking care of your family as well. And if you guys don't know, you know, that uh, Ashton is a, a private chef uh, there in his, in his house. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is he the one that cooks, but he's also the one that shops and, uh, and, and, and goes grocery shopping and has to deal with that as well. So I don't know how you do it all, but, uh, you know, kudos to you for, for doing that and just, yeah, you know, keeping you. a positive mindset and moving forward each and every day. And, you know, these, these things yeah. happen. If you, you take the right steps, you put in action plans, you set your goals, you know, things start happening. So, uh, yeah. I think it's important just as you li- listeners out there, listen, you know, you can sit there and talk about it all day. You can do analysis paralysis. You can do all these things that, that end up holding us back from taking the right steps forward. And, uh, you know, once you, start actually taking action and making these steps and you know things start happening you know uh, uh, yeah things sure. start falling in place so uh, yeah i'm proud and, of and you so that in complete trouble yeah i mean i appreciate it um karen does go to the store so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't want to i don't wanna get punched later today but uh you know but yeah i i do you know that's kind of one of the roles that i I took on actually a long time ago when we were in Monroe, I went back to therapy school and I wasn't making any money. And I, that was kind of one of my ways to say, look, I'll, I can handle this and this. And, you know, she was working and I was going to school, but I was like, I can handle this. And I just held on to that. And I've gotten to where I actually, you know, I enjoy cooking and I've, I've become decent at it. And so that typically lands on my plate, but it's, yeah, it's, it's fun because, you know, I, we sat down or at the early of the year and we kind of wrote out some goals and, you know, everyone always says until you write something out and you kind of speak it, it's not really, it's sort of a dream. It's a wish. Yep. And to, to, you know, and I'm not doing it perfectly. There's, there's all, some things that I wish I could do better. And like I said, cold calling and door knocking and stuff like that, I think could help out the business, but you know, throwing enough fishing lines out there and just trying and just keeping and trying and let's try, try in this realm and this realm and talk to this person it does open up doors, you know, and, and that, you know, these investors that I've met are a result of that conversation of like, Hey, I have to put myself out there on these investor forums. I've got to pay for a few leads. And then I've, you know, seen a few, uh, products from that and which is great. And it's encourages you to put it out a little bit more and a little bit more. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the market. market is similar. It's heating up some. A lot of people feel like we're kind of on this cusp of this run, this spring run, which a lot of times the spring does bring a lot of activity anyway. And coming off of 2023, that felt really pent up of like, I don't know if we should do this. It might be that it really lets loose for a while and uh, runs on values. And I've read a few things that are you know professional flippers 
you know, uh, a guy, James Daner, I follow. He's on the On the Market podcast. He's a big flip rep in Seattle. He's kind of of the mind of, look, if you if you can start picking up some stuff now that's going to time out in the, the late spring, early summer, he feels like he's going to do really well with those properties. Not that everyone can just turn it on and off. But the nice thing about what you do is that you kind of keep business going. You know, you, you keep your guys around, you keep moving. And it's almost like dollar cost averaging. And I think you're even your mindset's even more like that this year is, hey, even if this isn't a home run or even a double or triple, let's just do some business. Let's try to flip yeah. something, keep the guys busy, keep the flow of realtors that you can say yes to and the wholesalers you have relationships with. Keep those guys around. And then once it really starts churning, you're going to be 100% geared up, ready to take advantage of it. So I'm excited about this year because I don't know, you may you may always have this volume, but I feel like over the last couple of weeks, you've been really running a lot of numbers and walking deals. Is it seem like that part's ticked up a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it. some weeks are more than others, you know, and then it, it, the biggest thing that gets me right now is, is things... Because we're in the market that we're in, you've got a lot of decisive people. So, you know, as much as I would love sometimes to, to be the option, make an agreement, you know, give the offer. I mean, I could do that typically, you know, on the spot or maybe I've got to go, you know, just verify a few things and then come back. But typically that offer is coming, you know, within a couple hours from the time that I walk the property. And some of them have been like two, three, four weeks of following up. Like, mm. where are we at on yeah. this? What's going on? You know, like, yeah. what, what do we need to do? You know, and then, you know, it's like a little bit of negotiating back and forth and then still waiting on, waiting on the contract to get executed. And, you know, and then, of course, then we got to change timelines. we got to change, you know, closing dates. You know, we've got to adjust all those things when that happens. So yeah. I, I've run into that a few times and that's that's frustrating. Uh, and that's just yeah. something new I've got to adapt to that used to not be that way. But it it seems like it is now. It's like when, when I've got one that I feel like, you know, is, is a workable deal. It's not always immediate that we're executing moving forward. So. Well, um, and and I, I know it's been helpful in a way, and you know I know you have a lot of friends with the KW circle. KW I think has has an official uh, channel for agents to kind of uh, put up properties to to look at, and it seems like it's good in a way because it it's sort of making it more aware agents more aware that it's you know you can do this with properties. This is a way to dispo a property you know, through people that we know at the office, yeah. but it's also created some competition for you because for a long time, it was this kind of unofficial channel. You were the, you were the unofficial channel, yeah. <laughs> you know, and people yeah. would come to you and now it's like this marketplace and there's other people that are kind of bidding on some similar deals and it just makes it more difficult. And, and you know, all more the reason, like I need to do my part to bring some deals that have nothing to do with the office and go find some direct to the seller stuff or, you know, contact some other agents or whatever, you know, and that's tough. Sometimes, you know, you, you've got to be willing to change and adapt your business to adjust to market conditions. You can't keep doing exactly the same thing and expect that you're going to get the same result, you know, all the time. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to change it up and, you know, and yes, there's become more, you know, more competition, uh, you know, the iBuyer, you know, scenario that was kind of a new thing, you know, six years ago has now become a very popular thing. And so now not only do you have companies like KW, you've got other big, you know, real estate yeah. companies out there that have all now created their own, you know, inter database, you know, iFinder type of program or 
iBuyer, you know, situation, right? And iBuyer stands for instant buyer, right? Basically mm-hmm. cash buyer type of program. The, you know, the frustrating thing to me is probably more so that the training to me doesn't prepare the person putting the property out there for sale. It doesn't really train the, the, the agent giving that as an option, doesn't train that agent to have a, a specific conversation with the seller mm-hmm. on what to expect. And that's the yeah. frustrating part to me because more so than ever, I get responses back that sellers declined all offers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're all too low. <laughs> okay. You know, that's the response yeah. that all offers are too low. Sellers declined all offers. Right. And mind you, this could be something that's been going on for over a week or a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, you know, there yeah. needs to be something better that dials in. But I think because they do enough business of things that do close, they just, yeah. you know, it's all about a volume game. It's just the numbers. It's like, if we get a hundred, a hundred properties on there and we get 10 to close, we're good, you know? Yeah. So but I'm sure that's how Myers is. And a lot of wholesalers work that way, but yeah. And I'm sure you've done some training cause I'm new to the office, but that might be a great training, uh, you know, to kind of touch base again on with some of those agents that want to use that portal is like, Hey, here's how you go about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you had a lot of them have the retail mindset, of course, cause that's where they're coming from. And, you know, and they want the, I, I think there's also that, and I, I can't blame them. You know, you have a potential seller in front of you. It's hard to have hard conversations. You don't want to be punched. <laughs> you know, you don't want them to go find another agent, you know, and you want to salvage this deal. And so I'm sure it's very delicate to say, and, and a lot of them are not used to those conversations to say, Hey, um, would you take 200,000 less than you think you might right. be able to get but I think, on the market? I think something as simple as what I try to do is I, I dummy it down, right? When I'm, when I'm sitting in the living room with a seller and I explain that, Hey, I want to be an option for you. I will literally do, you know, like the layers on the cake, right? Let's say it's a $300,000 ARV. I'm going to tell them my cost of sale is 5%, right? And that's, you know, that's going to be 15,000 off the top. So now we're dealing with a 285 net to sell or 285 number minus renovation. Let's say it's 50 K, you know, so now I'm down to 235. Oh, I want to make a profit. You know, what's my profit need to be. If I need to make $35,000 on this deal, then I need to buy it for 200,000. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it makes it very simple, you know, very simple for them to see it, you know, in that sense. Right. Cause they're like, Oh, okay. You know, I get yeah. it now. You know, you've, you, you have 50,000. That's, that's about right. That's kind of quotes I've gotten for the house. And, you know, I see mm-hmm. it, I can see that 50,000 could be spent here, but what mm-hmm. most people don't see is the profit. You know, they don't yeah. see that. Oh, you want to make 35 grand. Oh, I was just thinking it was, you know, 300,000 and I needed to put 50 in it. You know, you're going to buy it for 250, you know, and you're right. offering me 200, you know, that's just way too low. Well, well how, how do the numbers work? You know, and, and there's a cost. Of, <laughs> it's hard to feed the family. with that Yeah. Now. And there's a cost of sale. I mean, it costs me money to sell it just like it costs you money to sell it. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's the. That's the, to me, it's simple. Like it's very simple just to teach the agents that when they go through the training to put properties up on this portal, they have training to know how to do it and what's to be expected on like the information that needs to be uploaded, yada, yada. But to me, there's not training to coach the seller on 
what to expect out of these offers, you know, and that's the yeah. frustrating part, but yeah. And that, and a lot of that goes back to that conversation we had last week of, you know, walking through and these are the things that are, you know, or could be wrong, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that'd be a cool training. And then, um, we'll move on here in a second. But one thing I, I was going to say is that that last one, we walked in Canyon Creek, that agent was a Keller Williams agent, but from a different office. And yeah. I thought, you know, it's interesting that she's calling you, which kind of leads me to believe that she doesn't have anyone in her office. So maybe it's a like starting point for us to say, Hey, let's, let's hit up some of these other Keller Williams offices and just make sure they don't have like, Hey, do you need to go to investor guy? I, that's what I thought of when she came to you after that. I was like, well, that's weird because I wonder why they don't have those same trainings there and have the investor group and have two or three guys bidding for these deals. She's calling you. So I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's something we can think about. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and we, and you know, we did that for many years. I mean, we taught, um, and it kind of started in our office and then it expanded and then we were doing, um, you know, my past partner and I were, were teaching, uh, for the, um, uh, you know, Metro centers, you know, uh, Collin County board of realtors, Metro techs, you know, we, we were teaching, um, MCE classes for that. And, uh, and that helped, I mean, it helped to just building that network, you know? And so I still yeah. have a lot of network that expands past just our office, you know, that, um, with people I've dealt, you know, we need to get the real with. estate heavyweights out there. We've got a brand yeah. now we can there wear hoodies. I, I, I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, Let's go ahead and touch on the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? From Dallas, Texas, the Flash, apparently official. There's good news and bad news. This is a massive story. Who wouldn't publish it? We landed on the moon! Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The news of the day here in Dallas is nothing huge, but... Um, the headline actually it was one of the main headlines in the Dallas Morning News is our one of our favorite chicken restaurants, Chick Fil A. Hey, hey. Turns out they're doing a pretty decent business, and they are going to open up a hundred million dollar distribution center. And it, the the interesting part about the article for me was it's in Hutchins, Texas. I'm like Hutchins, this is in the Dallas Morning News. How is there how is there a town here that I don't I don't know where <laughs> Hutchins is? You know, and so I had to look it up on a map. And sure enough, it's on 45 on the way to Houston, just kind of southeast of Dallas. There's a, a town called Hutchins. And I, when I did home health, I actually did home health, South Dallas, East Dallas, uh, Lancaster, DeSoto, Duncanville. I did that for a time. And that area is really full of big distribution centers because I think the land is a little cheaper on the, that south side of town, a lot of vacant land, and it's really good access to I-20, I-45, and 35. When I-20 turns into 635 too, so you know, it's easy to catch that loop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, It's filled with, um, you know, all those huge, huge warehouses, and uh, eventually we'll be home to the automated semi-truck, which I had a, a patient who actually sells Semi trucks, and he was talking about him. He said they're oh, already wow. on the road. There's already automated semi trucks on the oh, road. Oh gosh, which is insane. So they go to those hubs. Some of them are automated. They'll pull into those hubs, and then they'll get an actual driver to sort of drive it. It's called last mile. So then they'll go drive that to whatever Chick Fil A or Walmart or whatever they need to go to from oh, those. Oh my gosh. In, in little side note, that's crazy. But uh, Chick Fil A opening up a hundred million dollar distribution center. It's going to bring in several hundred jobs for that. So I mean, have you, have you ever been to one that's not just completely busy? Chick-fil-A? No. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it, I, I'm one of the idiots that'll sit there and wait too. 
you know, what's funny is Chick-fil-A, you know, in home health and real estate, you have to have sort of a hierarchy of bathrooms. So I'm driving around town all day and <laughs> I can talk to Karen. To yeah. I, I got to go to the bathroom a lot. So I know where pretty much every QT, racetrack, sort of your go-to every day, I'm just going to run in and use the restroom. I used to yeah. feel guilty about it, but now QT's bathrooms or you can, I know which door to go into, just go, come out, you're good. <laughs> and uh, so, but I will say Chick Fil A is on the list. Uh, Chick Fil A, McDonald's, actually, because uh, you can kind of they're busy. You can go in, pop in, pop out. No one's going to think no bad about you. Say, hey, you, you, you didn't buy anything, right? And uh, you know, every once in a while, you grab a, a chicken sandwich or something. But no, they're always busy. And Chick Fil A, I mean, they've got it. We actually have a friend who owns a Chick Fil A uh, up in McKinney. And so I've, I've, I've heard them talk about the business and I've got another friend who's real high up in Kane. So it's funny, the two chicken guys will sit there and talk about cost of chicken and flour. And it's, <laughs> it's a real enthralling conversation every wow. once in a while. But uh, the bottom line is they make a lot. I think Chick-fil-A's make plenty of money. They have an interesting franchise model that, that it doesn't cost a lot to buy into their franchises and they hire within. So a lot of the, like they actually started out working at the, a de- you know, at the front desk of a, uh, Chick-fil-A is wow. minimum wage yeah. and they worked their way up to owning a mall location and then they owned one in Texarkana then they got one here in Dallas and they kind of moved their way up in location so it's really really cool but yeah I remember when they were just in the malls in the 90s you know and it was yeah. like what is this this is great yeah. you know and the Northeast didn't have, I don't know if now if they're in the Northeast or not but Northeast didn't have them at that point in time and I you know lived in Rhode Island in my teenage years and would come down, you know, to Texas for the summer. And I remember, you know, at the Irving Mall, they had one, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was like, what is this place? This is great, you know. This yeah. is so delicious, you know. And it was just like the chicken sandwiches back then. I don't even remember if they had nuggets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but. No, they, they have it figured out, you know, and, and they just have such a strong brand. I always joke that, especially in, you know, we lived in Monroe. For whatever reason, pretty much any time there was a large political something happening, you know, some Supreme Court decision or something in the actual cultural ether that was Christian based and moral based. I always felt like people, they justified going to Chick-fil-A a little bit more because they knew it was a really good Christian company. And it was kind of part of their tithe because I yeah. would always think that it would just blow up. Like just people lined up because Chick-fil-A <laughs> took some stance on something. But so they got that going too. And it's really, yeah. really good. And they've got their, it's fast and you know they're polite, so yeah. I mean, good grief, they've they've got a lot figured out. So the uh, we've one of these days, you know, we keep we've talked a lot about food, but we've never really talked about our food scene here that we we enjoy and kind of our top restaurants and stuff. I think we need to at some point because uh, I know we've got we we've got opinions and you guys go out a good bit and we probably go out too much. So the other news article that was interesting to us because turns out Tavis and I went to dinner the other night uh, at a Mexican restaurant at this place called City Line and it was in the news because they had sold recently I think the article said for 576 million it's State Farm is the main tenant there it's at 75 and George Bush it's a huge development they've got a lot of really cool restaurants down there um, got a barbecue place, uh, Mexican sushi, and it kind of gives those, I mean, it's a high two or three high rises for State Farm, gives all those employees a place to go. But the article was about the shortfall in tax base for a lot of these towns because Richardson actually has that building assessed at $700 million. 
you know, so look, you got a hundred and twenty-five million dollar shortfall. You know? Well, and and make sure you note that I mean these properties are selling undervalued because you know several things. One is you know interest rates have gone up, so these these loans are coming due. You know, commercial yep. loans are typically you know shorter term loans, right? They're they're rare mm-hmm. that they're going to be you know 20 30 years on a deal right they're typically five years maybe 10 years and uh and so they're resetting and so the numbers are going up and then you have uh you know covid um that happened a few years back and that changed the vacancy amounts and and a lot of these office buildings so the combination of that with the interest rates going up you know obviously the office high-rise office and just office in general has taken a huge hit and mm-hmm. if anyone knows anything about just, you know, how office values are typically calculated, you know, commercial in that sense, right, is all about the net operating income and then divide it into a cap rate, right? And that typically is how the values are created. So when debt service increases and not net operating, in, uh, not net operating income has decreased, then that value is going to drop significantly, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what we're seeing. Because the cap rate is probably staying about the same. Yeah. So what we're seeing is those those rates are that the values have have taken huge hits, you know. And there was a couple different articles with, with different uh, references of these buildings, City Line being one of them. And City Line is not that old of a building. I mean, it's within mm-hmm. the last ten years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me with you know the years and math again because yeah, it's not start there. I never but do yeah, that you're right. Well. I think it's uh, ten years. But <laughs> I want to say it's within the last ten years, right? Yeah. Um, nevertheless, you know, because of that, and so what happens is, you know, the, the cities, of course, have have valued these buildings at what you know these loan amounts were, you know, and and you know what the sell, you know, what the sales were in the past. And so now that, you know, their tax assessed value of these buildings are extremely high and now they're selling for under that value. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're going to go and fight it. You know, they're going to go to the city and go, hey, I didn't, you know, the value is not where you think it is. It's here because it's what I paid. And obviously, those are huge amounts of money. So it is going to affect the local economy and school oh, districts yeah. and, you know, things like that. Budgets are, are definitely going to be cut because that the income is going to be significantly re- uh, less. Yeah. So it's definitely going to have. I mean, there's impact. a lot of, you know, there will be some offset because a lot of the residential, you know, has gone up. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm sure they'll have something. But, but when you have one hundred and twenty five million of this in one building, you yeah. know, I, I'm sure if that's just representative of that. And then when you have the, the next four or five miles surrounding there that said, hey, you know, they're assessed at this. There was way too high. Actually reassess ours too. I'm sure there's a ripple effect, a ripple effect on that too. So yeah, it's interesting. The the whole, uh, you know, multifamily, I, I was reading something else. It's, it's definitely not out of the woods yet. We've talked about it several times. Just some of those multifamily guys are just going to get hammered and they're probably going to go back to the bank. There's going to be some restructuring. A lot of the commercial buildings are, they're trying to find new ways to use them the malls are reinventing themselves they're throwing in apartments and townhomes and hotels and all these things and you know commercial buildings are trying to figure out how can we make these how can we make this old office building a hotel or apartments um, from a, a structural standpoint it's not that easy i'm sure on a lot of them but there there's just going to be this phase of trying to figure it out and at the end of the day there's probably some of them that are just going to get demolished and and turned into something useful yeah, it's, yeah. Um, uh, you know oh like that mall over there at 635 what's that one at 
635 in Preston, the Valley View. Good grief, man. That looks like they had some really cool plans on it, um, you know, about six or seven years ago. And I was excited to see it. They were calling it kind of Midtown with the big park and a lot of like, you know, kind of like an idea of like how New York is split, right? Between downtown and uptown and Midtown and that kind of thing. And it was going to be pretty cool, but uh, I haven't seen anything develop on that over the years. So. No, it's still pretty. It looks, like <laughs> looks like a bomb. Looks like a bomb went up. Yeah. They, they the, the, I'll tell you who made money there. Some attorneys, a design firm, and a demolition crew. Yeah. And other than that, that's not much happening over there. So. No, for sure. All right. Well, yeah. that's those are kind of the highlights of the news. Today, we wanted to touch on uh, our friends over at the Spruce. The, the They are the go-to website for lists. I mean, I'm talking top 24 shades of of purple to use in your kitchen for 2024, like stuff like that. They come out with lists constantly. And one of their lists that they were talking about really hit home for me from a home health standpoint. And they were talking about the top things you can do to your home to age in place. We call it aging in place. You know, so if you have an, an, an older adult, they don't want to go to assisted living or they can't afford to go to independent living or assisted living. They want to kind of stay in the house they've been in for a while. What are some of the things you can do? And I've told patients for a long time, you know, that if you compare the monthly cost to some of those assisted and independent living places that range from three to six to seven thousand dollars easy, depending on the services, you know, if you it, let's say you, you got a year out of that and you're at five thousand, well, that's a sixty thousand dollar investment for a year. What could you do to your house for sixty thousand dollars to make it livable for maybe two years? And now you've yeah. saved money. And I've had this conversation about showers and some the doors and all that stuff. And so from a flipping standpoint, from a new build standpoint, what I, what I want to talk about with, you know, you, Tavis, is that, you know, is this something that you've considered before? Is this something that you ever intentionally do on a flip or have you ever uh, built around these ideas? And, and then maybe we can talk about some of the things that you can do and, you know, what I think are, are valuable things from a therapy standpoint and that sort of thing. But to start off, have you, have you ever flipped a house and, and actually done some of these fixes of widening doors or specifically making an accessible shower or something like that? Uh, yeah. So the, um, you know, in our midterm rentals, uh, I've been cautious enough to think forward a little bit on, you know, not, not everywhere, but like in the master suite, for instance, you know, I've made sure that the, the door leading into the master bath, you know, is bigger, right? So that you can get a wheelchair in there. So anything above 30 inches typically will work for that. So, you know, in a construction world, we call that a, a two, a, you know, a two, four op- or a two, six opening, which is two foot, six inches, or like a, a two, eight, you know, would be 32 inches or a three O, right? Is obviously three foot. Uh, so anything like bigger than like a two, a two, six opening typically is what's uh, looked at there just to be able to get a wheelchair through a door. Most of your bedroom doors are going to be a standard two foot, eight, you know, two foot eight or 32 inches. So you're usually good there. But a lot of these old houses and even production builds, what they do is they, you know, your, your bathrooms and your closet doors, things like that, a lot of times are just two feet you know, 24 mm-hmm. inches wide. And so that's not big enough, uh, to get a wheelchair through it. And so, you know, it's just being cautious of that, especially in the midterms, you know, I'm thinking through like, 
you know, there's a range of different people that might stay there. So if we can be somewhat handicap accessible, not a hundred percent, you know, ADA regulation, because then you get into counter heights and you get into, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of different things, ramps, e- ramps and, and access to, you know, the, the toilet areas and grab bars and, you know, rolling showers and all these different things, but just enough to kind of work temporarily in a space, you know, where I'm like, is this big enough to get a wheelchair through? Is this big enough to get like a walker into the shower? You know, is it got a shower opening in the master versus like a tub shower combo? You know, things mm-hmm. like that that are much easier to kind of get in and out of. Uh, we yeah. are cautious on that. Now, I will say when I built from the ground up um, back in like 2015, 16 through 17, and we were building some custom homes, I did think forward uh, in the design plan. So we were dealing with uh, minimum size opening doors were typically two six, uh, which is going to be your 30 inch doors, uh, especially like in bathrooms and things like that. And then we would plan ahead in the stud in the in the in the framing stage to block out walls like around toilet areas, and I, I say block them out with like two by sixes that were ran horizontally around areas that you might have to add grab bars, you know, because you you would block it. You could pretty much put grab bars anywhere, and we would think about that in the showers. We'd think about it in the toilet areas, um, and again, kind of building them in mind with one stories you know, the doors were, were big enough everywhere and just trying to think forward to that where, you know, you could buy one of our houses and stay in it, you know, for the rest of your years. Um, and we, we also designed it with like the, uh, you know, recessed, um, uh, shower pans in the slabs. So we were able to build them up flush. They didn't have curbs, you know, the curbless showers and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, we thought about that kind of stuff ahead of time. Some of the things I've thought of, you know, well, first of all, my one question from the door opening thing, uh, what I was thinking about this, does that include the, so the actual door with the, with the hinge, it's inset. Is that just the frame when they say it's two six or whatever? Is that the frame or does that include the usable width when the door's on there? Uh, so when you call it like a two six door, uh, that's, that's the actual size of the door. So typically the open, the framing, the, frame. the rough opening is typically about two inches bigger uh, because you're going to need a about a one inch buffer, you know, for the um, the jam and just you know to be able to get it square. Yeah. Um, so typically, because I've had to know, take some it, doors off of hinges it, before. <laughs> like I'll have a patient, yeah. especially like let's say a Fox and Jacobs house. So they, uh, you know, a lot of them they'll have those hall bathrooms or kind of like these kind of long narrow hall bathrooms. Uh huh. And they have to kind of do this side shuffle with the walker. And sometimes we'll just take that door off the hinge and that's helpful. You can, you can flip the wheels around on a walker and it makes them more narrow. My thought actually, if I was going to design a house tomorrow, I thought of this the other day is I might actually advocate for some form of a pocket door. Now, the the problem with the pocket door with someone who's older is the dexterity to actually open it and close it. If, it. if it closed all the way flush, it might be difficult for them to open and close it. But my thought is sometimes it, it, when you're opening up a door, it gets in the way of the wheelchair or the walker. So I, I think it could be, right. could be useful if there were more pocket doors in a house that was designed for someone that was a little bit older. You know, the other thing that, you know, from a design standpoint, I, the showers are great. The One of the best showers I've ever seen 
is that roll-in shower you're talking about where they kind of make a little gradual mm-hmm. hump in the concrete and then they and then the so the water stays in there but if you needed to roll up a there's no glass on that end and uh, so you could just roll a wheelchair up in there and if you needed to you could bathe someone in a wheelchair back them out you know wipe the wheelchair down and that you know some people go weeks between ba- bathing because it's so hard for them to get in and out of showers and I've, I've actually had yeah. several people I've worked with that have fallen in the shower it's it's a big deal so having wide openings that are not terribly heavy you know like some of the glass can get heavy so there's a balance there but I love that if you have enough space I've told several people you like let's just open it up get that roll in curb there and the water won't go everywhere, and you, you'll always be able to use that. So I, I really like that. I like the grab bar blocking. You know, I thought about the pocket door. You know, the one thing that they mentioned was some counter height stuff. You know, and not, not that I'm the definitive expert, but I've done it now for 10 years. I've been in hundreds of homes. I, I don't deal with a lot of people that are 100% wheelchair-bound all the time. And so to, to design a spec-type yeah. kitchen around a wheelchair, I think is a little bit much. I mean, you could... If you knew that you're designing something for someone specific, but, you know, I would say maybe lowering the height of the microwave, kind of keeping in mind maybe the oven height mm-hmm. or microwave height for some people that, you know, most older people are shorter. <laughs> you know, it's just how it happens. Even if they were tall at some point, they kind of, yeah. they compress. <laughs> so, it, you know, having a really high cabinet or a, a microwave, that space will just be completely unusable at some point. And so having having that stuff would be important. Well, even just having more drawers, having more drawers in your lowers and stuff too. So, you know, it's easier to access the things in the, than the lower cabinets and things like that too can be helpful. Uh, you know, I'll mention this and then I think we'll wrap it up here, but, um, uh, the, um, pocket doors are great ideas. I I love pocket doors. You've got to, you've got to think through it a little bit on, uh, the thickness of the wall, if there's any electrical mm-hmm. uh, switches or outlets that are going to be on that wall, um, and you can double up the wall uh, to make up for that. Um, but uh, it's all about the hardware. So if you just buy the cheap, you know, pocket door frame that is built with uh, three quarter inch plywood on the sides and, um, you know, the, the very cheap kind of rail design, you know, pocket door, which most builders and most pocket doors you see these days are, are, mm-hmm. are that cheap design. Those get frustrating because right. they don't always work really well. And the hardware on them are just not the best design. Uh, but you can, you can get better hardware and you can get, I mean, now they have like the slow close design stuff. You can get some really expensive, heavy duty door hardware that, you know, you, you press the button and it pops out for yeah. you as far as, you know, the mobility of being able to do that. So there's a lot of cool stuff. You just got to think ahead and you're going to spend money on it, Um, you know, but they can be done really well. I mean, a lot of the pocket doors we built uh, were solid core doors and, you know, we used, uh, we made them in two by six walls. So we were actually turning a Mm -hmm. stud sideways instead of a three quarter inch wall cavity. um, You had a, you had an inch and a half wall cavity on each side, you know, so that way you had a lot more stability. You, if you put a screw in there for a, uh, a towel rod holder or something like that, it wasn't going to affect, you know, wasn't going to scrape the door. Yeah. So. The last couple of things that they said, there's just, they, they're moving more towards smart home. So, you know, more and more older folks, they are comfortable with technology. I have people with Apple, Apple watches and I, all, they all have iPhones. So maybe making some smart home adjustments where lights will come on automatically, 
you know, you could, you could do that manually with uh, the, the uh, doors going into closets and stuff can come on, but you know, things that happen, you know, automatically for them, maybe timer lights and stuff like that. The other thing that I, from a construction standpoint is the ingress egress. Uh, so many garages are hard to get in and out of with one awkward or two awkward steps. And so many people have a hard time with that, you know, going out the front door, you know, you've got these oddly with odd width steps. Sometimes you can't fit a walker fully on one. So little things like that, you know, I feel like I could design a pretty good, I think I could design a pretty good uh, house for a senior. So if uh, Dell Webb is looking for a, uh, a consultant, then, you know, maybe <laughs> hit me up. All right. Well, yeah. cool. Um, hope everybody has a great week. If you uh, want to reach out to Tavis, uh, he's on Instagram, Facebook, Tavis Westbrook, Travis without the R. He does design work. He's actually going, we're going over today. He's going, I'm going to meet him at the flip afterwards to do some design measurements for Aaron's house. He's going to be getting that going, the renderings and all that. And uh, so he, he does all sorts of stuff. He flips, he's doing some, uh, he's just doing a little bit of retail work for an old client too. So jack of all trades in the real estate business. So if you have any questions, you want to reach out. If you guys just want to grab lunch with the real estate heavyweights, please, we would love to meet with you. Yeah, I'm Ashton Hines, Dallas Real Estate Guy on Instagram. You can follow me there on Facebook. Follow my journey to 100 open houses this year. I'm, I think Tavis's will be numero 10, number 10 for the year. So I'm, I'm catching up a little bit and uh, I'm having a good time with it. So yeah, keep track there. And we're going to we still do a good job on the YouTube. I got to get I got to get going on YouTube. So we'll figure that out. But until next time, I hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you soon.